Lord, remain standing for prayer if you would. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, and the Lamb is holy because God accepted Him. And, you know, I know we have all sorts of ideas about holiness, most of them wrong. But if God accepts you, if God has accepted you in Christ, you're holy. Start acting like it. <laughs> and, I, and so, okay, I didn't mean start off that way. Let, you know, we got... <laughs> well, uh, three, three really, uh, three really miraculous, so we're going to pray. And just three miraculous things I want, you, I want to let you know about. Number one, you know, somebody came up to me even today talking about the vacation Bible school we just had. And it was one of, one of the adults who worked with us at the Vacation Bible School and said, you know, one thing about Vacation Bible School, it shows everybody we need more sp space. We need more space. <clears throat> and uh, I thought, all right, yeah, we've got it. I, I understand that. So we're going to be meeting with some people after church today. And so be praying for that because uh, we're, we're still looking for a way to get more space. Uh, and meaning we need to build uh, some space. And uh, the second miraculous thing, we're going to uh, Israel. We haven't been to Israel in three years. We're taking 50 people, just over 50 people to Israel. This November, it's going to be over Thanksgiving, so no, November 18th to the 28th, because we can get the best prices. Uh, there are not uh, crowds to deal with. The weather is the most moderate. They really take care of us well. And we have a fantastic guide who is going to be leading us. Uh, so it'll be a great time. But a, mir a miracle took place as last week. One of the uh, ladies from Midtown who was going to go had to back out. And that means there is an opening spot for one lady who could room with one of our ladies here to, at Harvest if you wanted to go. Now, I mention that because it's uh, uh, $3,717. That is a $1,000 less than you would pay going with anybody else. And, uh, you know, part of that is because most other churches and religious groups that go, they get one free ticket for every five or so. And then that means preachers can go free. Well, uh, these preachers pay their own way. So we pay our own way in our rooms and everything else. That way the price is less for everybody else. And so it's number one, you will never go for cheaper. Number two, if you go with Chuck Swindoll, it's six grand and it won't be as good. And number three, if you go with Tony Evans, it's six grand and it won't be as good. And number four, if you go with Joel Osteen, it might be as good, but it'll be six grand. So that's a miracle. If, you know, if, if you can say, look, yeah, I'd like to go, then, then get with us and we'll get, get you hooked up. And uh, then the third, I think, miracle. So we've got all church retreat this week. So, so we're going, uh, we have that every year out at the University of Central Missouri in Warrensburg. Um, this fall, in any given year, they have 7,500 students, 7,500 students at UCM. So there's plenty of rooms, plenty of space they can take care of us. We will be bringing almost 800 people. So 777 people. And obviously that's not just our church, that's our church, that's Midtown Baptist Temple, that is Living Faith Lee Summit. Uh, but we've got a, you know, the other two churches, their attendance went down this year. Ours went up 20%. We got 20% more people this year than last year. And I think that's really cool because we've got, you know, proportionally more kids coming. I don't know what that says about, you know, the age of our church. We've got more kids coming. So we've got 70 kids uh, that we're paying their way. So automatically that's 14 grand because that goes straight to UCM because it costs us $200 a person. Now they, they'll make money off the kids, but I know you all adults, that, that is where you make up for it because you'll eat more than $200 because it's uh, four days, three nights, and nine meals. And uh, so they're taking care of us out there. So, so tonight we'll get all the information on that. You can come back also and pray uh, with us as we pray for retreat this year. So we've got those things going on. Uh, praise the Lord for all that. Um, go ahead and uh, bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's get ready and pray today what God can do for us. And, you know, let me just say uh, tomorrow... Uh, on tomorrow, I've got to do a prayer of consolation 
for the memorial for my good friend in the ministry, Pastor Golden Davis, uh, lost his namesake son, Golden Jr., uh, last week and um, memorial out at Mount Olive um, this tomorrow night at five. So, uh, so let's, let's go to the Lord and ask, uh, ask for his blessing. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we come in here today, and our life is a mix. Maybe it's a mixed mess. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a mix between sunshine and, and t- like today, rain. It's a mix between mountaintops and valley low. And so, Father, I pray, even in a week that is a mix, when we'll be able to see Troy Stogsdill again, Lord, our former assistant pastor, who now pastors in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and have him as the evening speaker this week and our special Father's Day speaker next Sunday. And we go from that, to, Lord, other heartache and pain. And God, we just pray you'd use us. Lord, you have us here for your purpose and to draw people to Jesus. Lord, how much it means to us individually that we have an everlasting life through him, that all our sins are forgiven, all our sins are cast behind God's back. They are in the sea of his forgetfulness, as uh, Helen Baylor used to sing. And Lord, he means so much to us. How could we not be a witness for him? And so, Father, I pray you would use us this week even to invite someone to come with us next Sunday on Father's Day. And, uh, and hear the gospel and get saved. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And uh, if you'll join, join me in the book of Joel, that's the second of the minor prophets. And, you know, we did, a, we did a thing, I don't know, a year, a couple of years ago. We went through the book of Revelation. We did it a chapter at a time. I'd never done it that way before. And, and uh, you know, as I got into it, I thought, this is really hard. Um, but it's kind of good, and so enjoy doing that so much. I thought, well, how about Daniel? Twelve chapters of Daniel. We'll just take a chapter a Sunday on the Sundays we go through that, and and that went pretty well because you know chapter three is 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 fun, and chapter six is fun, and then you get to chapters ten, eleven, and twelve, and it, it's not so fun anymore. It's kind of like, man, this is hard. But it kind of you know I had a good taste in my mouth after that, and I thought, okay. This summer, let's go to the School of the Prophets. Let's take the last, seven, the last 12 books of the 17 prophetic books in your Old Testament. Take the last 12 called Minor Prophets, and let me just do one a week. And uh, now that we're into it the second time, it's like, what, what in the world was I thinking? And so today we are in Joel... And I want you to know up front uh, with, uh, with Joel, I mean, I told you in Hosea when we started this all off, uh, I didn't feel like there's any way we can do justice to these major men with major message called the Minor Prophets who were hard preachers. I couldn't do justice without hard preaching. So these are hard prophets. You got to do hard preaching. And even though I watched his namesake, Joel, Joel Osteen this morning, it didn't help. And so I know, I know we're going to get into this, and you're going to be thinking, man, I wish I'd stayed home and watched this on live stream, because then I could change it to T.D. Jakes. You know, I could flip the channel to, to, to somebody else out there that, you know, is, uh, it's like nobody preaches. The minor prophets. And yet the message is so salient, so necessary, so needed for us today. Because if you take just a sideways glance at American Christianity, there is no doubt we are living in the last days of the church age. So the day, what the Bible calls the day of salvation, the day of grace is about to close. And that day, the day, the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, waits just over the eastern horizon. Now, if that is the case, that puts us in a unique position to minister the Word of God to our age and to minister Jesus Christ to people who are in crisis. And so Romans chapter 15, if you look on your handout at Romans chapter 15, just to set us up with the purpose behind these prophets, and particularly Joel, Romans 15 verse 4 says, Paul tells us, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means in the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 
So let me hit you with our thesis for today's study. The mission of the minor prophets is to teach us from Scripture how to connect patient endurance in life to comfort from the Holy Spirit so that we can share that hope of eternal life as we approach the end of this age. We need to share it with the lost. Next Sunday is Father's Day. You know, on Mother's Day, we did a special thing. We had a coffee truck, and it was a great time because mothers are special. This next Sunday, Father's Day, we're going to have a special gift for every adult male. And it is so cool because I was one who suggested it. And it's just a really cool, cool gift. And we will also have a food truck. Now, I do that not because men are so special and fathers are so special. They are. But I do that to bait your hook. So every time we have a special day, I try to bait the hook for you. So that you can invite somebody to come with you and hear the gospel. So God lets us know what is coming for humanity because of what he wants us doing for him. So he tells us in the school of these 12 Old Testament apostles how to individually avoid consequences that are approaching us nationally and globally and because of the decisions of others. How are we supposed to act individually in the midst of a mess like that? If you'll look on your handout again at Isaiah, this time Isaiah the prophet, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 27 says, Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger. Now, it's not doing that yet. It's not doing that today. Today's the age of grace. Get saved today. But it will. And the burden thereof, make a mental note of that word burden, that Joel, Joel has that throughout here. And the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation. His tongue as a devouring fire. Chapter 33, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? How are you going to survive? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? So there are those who are only remedial Bible readers and Bible preachers who deny that there will ever be a day of the Lord, there will ever be a day when God actually acts in judgment on humankind. But these minor men with a major message have a massive motivation, and that motivation is they saw their city on fire. They saw souls in their city as if, not just that they're lost right now, but what the end destination is. So, so in John chapter 3, if you look at your handout, say, Alan, how can that even be a Christian message? I mean, that surely, we need to, you know, do what Andy Stanley says. I could have watched him today. Uh, we, need to, we need to detach from the Old Testament. We need to unhook from those Old Testament prophets and, and just follow Jesus who loved us. Oh, okay, John chapter 3, verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world... To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why? Because right now you are lost. You were born lost. Jesus says in verse 18, He that believeth on him, on God's Son, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Already existing in burnings. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Joel sees people, just like Jesus did, lost for eternity because they are condemned already. So he came to seek and he came to save those who are lost, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Now, historically, maybe that hasn't happened yet uh, in terms of uh, people actually finally being lost, having taken their last breath and passed into a Christless eternity. But these prophets were so soul-conscious that they saw every unredeemed soul engulfed in flames virtually when one day it will be literally. Now, I cannot tell you how much Joel knew of modern science. I don't know if he understood the second law of thermodynamics, but Joel and these other men were obviously acquainted with spiritual entropy. I mean, they obviously knew what I will call the law of human collapse. 
And modern science reveals there is a devouring fire every place in nature. If you leave iron out in the dew of the night, the next day it's rusted. In summertime, the trees give their glory to God in the green, but in fall, they turn orange, red, and brown, and that is the work of that fire. People live for a while, and then they die, and that is the work of that fire. There is a devouring fire in the spiritual realm also, and Isaiah asks, who can dwell with it? How can you escape everlasting burnings when that fire is set by God? And you know what? You and I have the answer. We have the answer. Watch, look at 2 Corinthians 5, there on your handout, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, those of us who have been reconciled to him in Jesus Christ, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation to it. What is it? That God was in, here it is, telling others that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. God did all he needed to do. The finished work of Christ on the cross was enough. But he's not going to reconcile you against your will. He made all the provision. Don't blame him. He made all the provision, but he's not going to do it against your will. So we've got the answer. And you know who else had the answer? Joel. The prophet Joel had the answer. God committed to him the ministry of reconciliation to the nation of Judah. And he begged them in God's stead, turn and repent. Joel 2 verses 12 and 13. So the motivation for his ministry and the urgency for his message was just the same as Isaiah's and Paul's and yours through this church. Joel's name means the Lord is God. Jehovah Jesus is God. Fourteen men in your Old Testament answer to that name, beginning with Samuel's oldest son. But this Joel was not Billy Joel. Uh, He was Joel, the son of Pethuel whose name can be rendered the sincerity of God or, the, or persuaded by God. So Joel is used by God to bring this 73-verse message of reconciliation to Jerusalem, the capital, and to Judah, the nation. And the people were passive, they were indifferent, they were apathetic, so that's just like today. The people are passive, indifferent, ap- apathetic. The leaders, the leaders on the other hand, so the Jerusalemites, not just the Judahites, they will mock you, they will persecute you, they will rebuke you. I mean, they're worshiping their own gods. They go to the lake every Sunday and they're not sending in their tithe because they need to afford their boat, their dock, and their condo. Hello, somebody. But in order to understand the backstory, I want you to see Joel's calamity in light of Bible history itself. So look on your handout at Deuteronomy, all the way back to the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, verse 15, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. What does that look like? Verse 38, thou shalt carry much seed out into the field and shall gather but little in. For the locust, okay, you know, make a mental note of that word. The locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shalt neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them. So Moses describes for them the plague that will be inflicted for succumbing to the spirit of our age, which devours your love for the word of God. Now this is hard preaching from a hard prophet, but Solomon describes the prescription for the cure. Look at 1 Corinthians 8 there on your handout. Verse 37, if there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust. Or if there be caterpillar. 
if their enemy besieged them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man, now watch. I mean, this is the grace of God. This is why every morning before you drop your off, uh, kids off to school, you ought to be telling, look, you can turn to God today. No matter what happens to you today, if something, you know, something upsets you today, turn to God and pray. You can pray. Turn to God and pray. Because the grace of God is so much, it says, look, I don't care if it's any one single man or by all thy people Israel. God will answer anyway. Which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, God, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. And you know, tragedy is able to do a unique work in our hearts. And if for no other reason than the current sad state of our society and the extreme danger that it is to our children, this ought to be the most popular place in the city on Sunday. I'm just saying. We ought to be the most well-funded organization, certainly the most well-funded nonprofit uh, uh, in the city. The uncertainty of our lives and, and the conditions we're living in ought to ensure an audience for the gospel that's being proclaimed. So Joel's prophecy falls into three sections. He starts off with a word of devastation and warning, prophesying what's going to come and why. Because in every tragedy, people always want to know why. They're always asking why. God, why? Okay, Joel 1, look at verse 2. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Okay, the oldest among you. How, you know, how old is that? 90? 100 years even? Hath this been in your days or even the days of your fathers? Well, that stretches it way back. Tell ye your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. So now, obviously, Joel might be foretelling a near-term calamity historically. And that is all you'll get out of the commentators. That is all they think he's talking about. But obviously, he's talking about a far-term fulfillment prophetically. And he paints a backdrop of barren stalks and splinters that were once fruitful trees. Why? Verse 4. Because that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, hath the cankerworm eaten. That which the cankerworm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. And the last sap of life has been sucked from every shoot. And it'd be kind of like you pulling in your driveway after church today to a pile of smoking ashes that firemen are hosing down. And that used to be your home. But the key to understanding Joel's prophecy is really separating the different armies that are described in this book. One of them is what he's talking about right here. Chapter 1 is an army of locusts who destroy all the crops. Now that was true for the, that was one of the ten plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt land and will become one of the plagues on the Antichrist in the tribulation, Revelation 11 verse 6. But there's another great army called locusts in Revelation 9 who do not touch vegetation. They only hurt people. That's Revelation 9 verses 4 and 5. Okay, so now chapter 1, locusts, literal and demonic. Chapter 2 has two more armies. And unless you observe the paragraph marks that God providentially placed into a King James Bible, you get messed up. So you got to pay attention here. You've got to break chapter 2 into its two parts between verse 17 and verse 18. So now turn to chapter 2 and look. The trumpet is blown twice in the first part, both for the same army. You hear it in verse 1. You hear it again in verse 15. And it's not used as an air raid siren. It is used to blow reveille as a wake-up call for saints to assemble and follow their bridegroom into battle. Now, all you got to do is believe what you read. I, you know, these prophetic portions of Scripture are never hard to understand. They are only hard to believe. But when you hear this trumpet, 
you will gear up and you will get in formation. Why? Because doctrinally, Joel's prophecy is showing you events that transpire immediately before the battle of Armageddon. So the army of verses 1 to 17 is the body of Christ. It is church-age saints in their glorified body who have been raptured, who have been caught up off this planet before the appearance of the Antichrist, before the tribulation begins. We get taken out before Daniel's 70th week of woe starts. I mean, Enoch prophesied about this all the way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis. I'm not talking about the book of Enoch. That is a Gnostic fabrication of the second or third century. But the apostle Jude, look look on your handout. Jude verse 14, he lets us know. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. Seventh generation down, not very far along at all. He prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, in case that does not convince you that this first army is us, the Holy Spirit sticks seven pictures in Bible type pictures of the New Testament church between verses 15 and 17. We are a gathered out people. We are a sanctified congregation. We are an assembly of elders. We are children of God. We are a bride out of her closet. We are priests. We are ministers of the Lord. So the first army in chapter one is locusts, literal and demonic. The second army, chapter two, verses one to 17 is you, if you're saved. Because those verses describe the glorified bodies of people who have become like Christ and they're returning to earth with him at his second advent to fight the battle of Armageddon. All you got to do is believe what you read. I mean, basically, I mean, I know it sounds fantastic. I know it sounds sensational, um, but it fits in with everything else. I mean, it fits in with Revelation. It fits in with the book of Daniel. I mean, it makes your Bible, it all fits together as if it were written by one mind, which it was. Now, the third army is the Antichrist in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, which describes how we will defeat him. He invades Israel with an army from the north at the end of the tribulation. And we saw Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and Daniel 11 give us the keys which describe his invasion. But now wait, because what you have in Daniel chapter 2, what you have here is red moon rising. Now, um, I know we like to, you know, say that something is uh, false doctrine. And we just kind of throw that out as an epithet. And I don't know that we really know um, what we are talking about. I don't know that we know what we mean when we say that that is false, you know, something is false, some teaching is false doctrine. But you do know that there are false religions, uh, there are cults, and it, within Christianity, there's false doctrine. Okay, so, so all you got to do is believe what you read. Red moon rising is the second advent and the events that precede Armageddon. Red moon rising is not the 24-7 prayer movement which compels you to get your own familiar spirit, your own attachment demon right after they baptize you in water in their bathtub, and then say that you've got to pray after that to receive the Holy Ghost. Don't believe everything you read in the Christian bookstore. Tongues are not the sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, there is no verse of scripture that puts that together. Uh, When you have tongues and sign in the same verse, it says tongues are for a sign to the Jews. 1 Corinthians 1.22, 1 Corinthians 14.10. And the sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. I mean, literally, it is that verse. It's the sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So Acts chapter 2 was not the former reign of Joel 2, verse 23. It was not the former reigning, rain coming down. 
and the Azusa Street Revival and Asbury Revival and, and Alpha Course and Vineyard Churches and IHOP, and I don't mean the Pancake Place, and Nava, or Help Me, Holy Spirit, Secrets of Hillsong are not the latter rain. So don't get your, you know, don't get mad at me. Just watch, just watch. Joel 2, verse 10. And the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. There's nothing metaphorical here. There is nothing figurative about this. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Well, the Antichrist cannot. And the armies of the nations will not. Because we, the body of Christ, are the armies of saints who return with Jesus to fight this battle. Jude 14. And we have the glorified body of Jesus Christ, which is why we are described the way that we are. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. That's why we're described the way we are doing the exploits that we do in those verses. So the Bible says that the former and the latter rain are two rainstorms, two rainy seasons, that are usually separated by seven months. But... Joel says they come in the same month, chapter 2, verse 23. And they come both in the same month at the second coming in order to restore the land of Israel after three and a half years of drought. Joel chapter 2, verses 23 to 27. So don't get your tea bag tangled. Just believe what you read. Then after that, verse 28, after the judgment of the nations... God pours his spirit on everybody who is left, and the signs of verses 30 and 31 occur right at the end of the tribulation. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord then, look at verse 32, shall be delivered. Not saved. Now, I know Paul appropriates this verse in the book of Romans for us and says, if we call on the name of the Lord, Romans chapter 10, Verse 9, 10, and 11, we will get saved because we're saved spiritually. We get born again. They don't do not, they did not get that in the Old Testament. They will not get that in the tribulation. But what they will get is deliverance from that northern army, the Antichrist, when they call upon the name of the Lord, when they call on Jesus Christ as Jehovah. But now turn the corner with me. Turn the corner with me and Joel. Because the neat thing about having a ministry of reconciliation is you don't just cry, you're guilty, judgment is coming. Now they do that on the street corner downtown, but, that, but they don't do that in the Bible, and we don't do that. Since you are an ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20, you hold out a message of hope. So in the middle of chapter 2, Joel's message changes to, from one of accusation, one of warning, to one of pleading, and one of appeal. Look at verse 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your hearts, and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth, who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him? Even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Even enough crops to resume offerings at the temple after all. But first, the sacrifices God wants are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Psalm 51 verse 17. Now watch, because here are three excuses that people will give you for not getting right. Number one, it's too late. I've gone too far already. Well, God has an answer for that. Look back at verse 12. Let's just, let's just break this down like a fraction. Verse 12, therefore also now, yet even now. And a parent may say to you, that's too far. Get out, never come back. And a friend may say to you, I can't forgive you. Don't even talk to me again. But God is not your dad. God is not a man. Second, some people say, it's number two, I already tried that. I mean, I've, I feel like I've done it all before and it obviously didn't work. Well, God has an answer to that. Verse 13, and rend your heart and not your garments. What you did before was a garment rending. How do I know? Because you didn't keep at it. Because you didn't keep it up. Because you gave up. God didn't give up. You gave up. 
God says, give you me your heart in a relationship to me. Turn to me. Pray to me. Get your mind in my word so I can put my spirit in your life because that is exactly the definition of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So let me hit you with the definition. The filling of the Holy Ghost is getting your mind in God's word, Colossians 3.16, so his spirit can answer in your life, Ephesians 5.18. All you got to do is compare what is said in those two verses and following with each other. So you ought to take your hand out, go home, read all these extra references for you to Bible devotions this next week, because that relationship with God's word will sustain you in serving him. You can turn to him. You can pray during the day. You can ask for his power to be an ambassador of reconciliation. So in the final analysis, number three, some people say, God is through with me. He's written me off. Well, God has an answer for that. Verse 13, turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. There are eight parallel passages from Exodus to Jonah that give exactly the same sentiment because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Therefore, in the midst of wrath, right in the middle of the burnings, he remembers mercy, Habakkuk 3, verse 2. You know what you need? You need God to get hold of your heart. Um, Your soul is yours. That is why you have an unfettered free will. But your conscience belongs to God. That is why you have to sear it in order to silence it, 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. So anytime that the Holy Spirit makes a movement in your heart, on your conscience, you need to respond back. Your soul needs to respond. And once you come correct, you need to become an ambassador of reconciliation to others. How can you say that the book of Joel doesn't apply to you? And when you get saved, you are called to ministry. And, you know, sometimes the only time you can witness to somebody is when their harvest has become empty stalks in a field. And that is when you must say, like in verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart. Now go to chapter 3, because throughout chapter 3, there's a promise of judgment to come. If you look at verse 2, I will also gather all nations. Okay, so you Jews, I'm going to deal with you. That is tribulation to come. That is, that is the time of Jacob's trouble. But I'm also going to, you know, after all that's done, I'm going to gather all nations, and I will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, King Jehoshaphat was born the son of Nimshi, and Nimshi's name means I'm being drawn. Jehoshaphat's name means the Lord is judge, just like Jesus is going to do. And then Jehoshaphat had a son named Jehu, which means the Lord is here. So that's the biblical order. That is the order of events. God speaks through And the Holy Spirit draws you with God's word. What light he gives you from the Bible, through seeing, through reading, through preaching, through discipleship, you are responsible for because you will be judged by it. And one day Jesus will be present to judge your response to that light and whether you got it to others who were lost in darkness and did it for the Lord. Now this isn't difficult. I mean, as long as you set aside the opinions of the scholars and the commentators, just interpret the Bible the way God says to do and just believe what you read because every prophetic event in the prophets is illustrated by some event in Bible history, usually right there in the Old Testament. And this judgment of the nations is found as a picture in Bible type in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the valley of Jehoshaphat is called the valley of Baraka or of blessing. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 26. It sits right between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And this is the same judgment described by Jesus in Matthew 25 verses 32 and 33 where it is a sheep 
goat judgment. And some nations, the goats are cursed, and some nations, the sheep are blessed, depending on how they treated his brethren, the Jews, during the time of tribulation before he came back. Because Jesus will bring all the lost who are left after the church is caught away, after the battle of Armageddon, he will bring all the lost who are left into a day of reckoning. Then finally, verses 18 to 21. They describe a day when judgment ends and God keeps his promises to his people. Israel will be a desolation. Edom or Jordan will be a desolate wilderness. But Judah shall dwell forever because Jerusalem shall be delivered. And the promise of Moses and Solomon is going to be fulfilled completely. That when they do return to God, God will make them the head of the nations in the millennium. Now, lest you think of Joel as just a nationalistic section of Scripture, I purposely sidestepped a verse in chapter 2, and I want you to look back there with me uh, for us to close. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Because some of you sitting here today, you would still have to say, you know what, Alan, even without a locust plague... My life has been barren for the Lord. I mean, I'm saved, I'm born again, but my life's still been barren. All right, let's read verse 25 from the bottom up. I want to give you three lessons that linger from these locusts. First, letter A, all trauma carries a message from God. I mean, God owns up to it. The, The locusts are driving with his license plate. And it is in that sense that the Bible says the Lord creates darkness and the Lord creates evil. Isaiah 45, verse 2. Oh, he uses Satan. Satan is evil and Satan does it. But he just uses Satan as his messenger boy because really it's his message. It is God's message. And that is why the Apostle Paul never once describes himself as a prisoner of Nero Caesar. He always says, I'm Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, Ephesians 3.1, Ephesians 4.1, because it is the Gentiles who will be judged if they do not believe in Jesus. And if Jesus has saved you, he wants you to serve him as his ambassador. Bring a message in his stead pleading for reconciliation. Everybody who's under 30, I want you to listen to me. Some of you will not grow out of your carnality until the plague hits. I mean, I'm sorry, but, but, I, but I'm just telling you, some of you will not grow out of your carnality until the spell is broken and it'll, it'll take the plague. I mean, until the spell is broken and the fire burns it out of you. And the only other option for you is to do exactly what Joel is begging you to do right here. And to see yourself, see others in the midst of the burning and see yourself as the rescuer that like Jude says, you are pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I mean, how much easier to just decide today to Sign up for discipleship. Get discipled and discover how to walk with God and his word. I mean, 16 basic fundamental Bible concepts that enable you to live like Christ in this life. Therefore, even now, verse 25, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, the second thing, letter B. Oh, it takes a variety of attacks to get your attention. God has your license plate too. And so first he allows Satan to come at you domestically and maritally and sexually and your family and then economically and financially and professionally and educationally and maybe even physically and and medically. Why? Because God is serious about his word getting into your life, about you living in a faith response to him Because it is his scripture which gives you sober-mindedness. So it is your faith response to his word that makes it work. Because the spirit answers to your faith-based application of God's word in your daily life experience. So finally, verse 25, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. 
Let's let her see when God restores those he's affli- he afflicts, he does so abundantly. I mean, we have a tendency to put people on probation for the rest of their lives, right? You, you wreck the car, grounded five years. You, uh, you wrecked your life, check with me in 2040. And we call it making them earn back our trust. And we say that that takes time. When in actual fact, you need to trust God and love people, not the other way around. Because yes, you're right. They are no more trustworthy than you. And it is a good thing God didn't make you wait. I mean, he knows we're all untrustworthy, so let's trust God, the only one who is trustworthy and love people. And when you trust Jesus for everlasting life today, God erases the past. Now, if God forgives you and erases the past, how come you're doing the devil's work of bringing it back up again? Because when you get into his word today, it is pure water that cleanses your conscience. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, 1 Timothy 1, 5. Too many of you are believing that there's no reason to finish the race. It, you've, it's gone too long, you've gone too far. But we have a book given from God, and there is every reason to stay in it, stay on it, and keep at it. To be like Joel. Get God's word, then learn it so you can give others God's word about being reconciled to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18, 19. Colossians 1, 21. And your trauma is designed to bring you back to God for that specific ministry. You may be living in a locust field right now. You may feel broken and empty and desolate. It's dark and lonely and you're ridden with guilt. The major message that God brings you through this minor prophet is that it is never too late to turn to God's word. And today is the day. Will you make a commitment to magnify God's word above all his name, Psalm 138, verse 2, and make it the most important thing in your life? Summer school in the prophets. I mean, it's a call to that kind of revival. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what people expect me to do. I mean, I know that I'm the pastor, but, and, I, and I've been a pastor for a minute, but I'm kind of not like a lot of other pastors. And I understand it's a summer slump, and, uh, and, I, and, and praise the Lord, we don't slump as much as some others. But I understand, and it's, so you'd think, well, you know, it, we, we'd preach a really easy thing just to keep people to come in. And God says, no, you kind of need revival right now. Every week, opening God's word, exalting it, so that God will use it to make you sane, stable, and spiritual. Do you not want that? Next Sunday after ACR is baptisms, and his father's say, and Pastor Troy Stogstill is going to be with us. I mean, he was, our, he, was my, he was our assistant pastor here for the first six, seven years I was here. Now he pastors First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and and he'll be the evening speaker at ACR, but he'll also be our special Father's Day speaker next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we'll start our new study on adulting in marriage, family, and home. And Because I want you to be sane, stable, and spiritual so you can carry out your ministry of reconciliation with us. Well, you know, maybe you're here today and you've never been reconciled. You know, maybe you and God are enemies right now, not friends. The very next verse, after the ones that we read in 2 Corinthians 5, you can see it on your handout, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God hath made Christ to be sin for us. Christ, who knew no sin. Why did he do that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus carried all your sins on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty of death in your place. I mean, if you want to talk about a a God of love, that's it. That is a message of reconciliation because the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to do anything, didn't have to clean anything up. 
I mean, it's just as I am. You come, you come just as you are, but you can't stay just as you is. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Are you alive by his life or are you dead in trespasses and sins? Do what Joel says. Turn to him with all your heart and he will save you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Lord, we come to you today in our barrenness and our brokenness and our deep need. And God, I know there are people in here right now who have run from you. And I pray that today, as a result of the prophet Joel, they will get a renewed commitment to your word. Lord, teach us all to walk in your spirit in spite of the filth that's in our lives. Because the thing that makes us holy is that we're in Christ. When you look at us, all you see is Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. We're beloved because we're accepted in the beloved. That is what makes us holy is you accept us. So Lord, teach us all to walk in the Spirit in spite of that filth. Show us once again how your strength is made perfect in our own weakness. And God, I thank you for those in this church who are committed to the same truth that I am because they keep me from feeling so terribly alone in this ministry. So God, we thank you for Jesus who heals, who redeems. And Lord, I ask you that he would do that even today. Even now. Will you simply believe on Jesus for everlasting life? And the Bible may sound strange to you, but it's, it's still God's word for you. And if you want to be saved right now and promised eternal life, life after death, all you have to do is pray. Just your heart to God, knowing that he hears you. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. Put my soul into your purpose for eternity. Go ahead and stand as we get ready for the praise team to send us out singing today. If you prayed and trusted Jesus, please, please come up and let us know. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Or maybe you just want one. You've never gotten one before. Come up and ask us for it. We've got people at the head of the aisle. If you need to be prayed with, prayed for, prayed over, go ahead and come up and let us pray with you. Uh, If you want to talk about becoming a member of the church or even getting baptized next Sunday when we do baptize, baptisms, come up and let us know. And uh, be praying for us this week at All Church Retreat. Be praying for someone you can invite, bring with you next Sunday just because it's Father's Day. And uh, they'll get a really cool gift. Praise team, send us out singing.